Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I am coming to you live from the van bed on a street in Santa Cruz, California. Can I just say, because I have this thought often, but I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast, but I think about it a lot, which is that sometimes I feel like I avoid stuff I need to get done, like work, simply because the environment that I associate with getting work done feels or seems very uncomfortable and unwelcoming. And I've done in the past, consciously and unconsciously, I've sort of tried to create work environments that are much more welcoming and put it in candles and incense and make the lighting really good. But sometimes I just want to do my work from my bed because it's the ultimate comfy area and I feel super relaxed and super cozy and secure um and I know there's that thing about like you shouldn't do a lot of work in your bed you should just sleep in your bed because if you work from your bed or have devices in your bed you're not gonna be able to sleep in your bed and like okay I haven't done a study on this (laughs) for myself I'd imagine that it's probably somewhat true um but I don't know I feel like sometimes I associate work with punishment and uh, it's been really nice to kind of counteract that framing of the whole thing and think like, you can do your work from wherever you want. I mean, maybe not. Maybe if you have a specific job that requires you to be in a specific place. Um, but we can do things we need to do. We can respond to emails in whatever kind of a comfy location we want. Um, our work and the things we get done do not have to be miserable. So I just wanted to mention that. Totally random. Um, Van trip has been super active thus far. We're just joking like, oh, we can't wait to get out in the van and relax in the woods. And like, honestly, home life in Crestone was a lot (laughs) more relaxing thus far than the van trip. Um, But this is the this is just how it's unfolding. Uh, We spent some time in L.A. seeing some friends and people that we don't get to see very often. And for fuck's sake, it's been covid. And so we haven't really seen anyone and we want to. And um, the meetups have been amazing for those of you that have come or thinking of coming to one in the future. We did one in L.A. We just did one a couple nights ago in Santa Cruz. The next one we were hoping to do is maybe in Grass Valley. Uh, maybe this coming week, maybe the week after. Things are always very up in the air. Um, if you have an idea of somewhere we should have the meetup in Grass Valley, if you personally live there and know of a bar or restaurant, or if you have 
cool land or you would love to offer it up for some of us to gather around a fire, let us know. Uh, trying to keep things organized by, if you have a suggestion for a meetup, uh, you can send an email to 81131podcast at gmail.com. That's where we're filtering all of them. Uh, and then to see our route to see if you do have a place to suggest, you can go to my website, anyacots.com slash podcast dash meetups. Um, and yeah, you can see where we're planning to go. I've, I've just been so thrilled, um, at having these meetups so far and meeting all of you. I'm, I'm finding as I get older, I have like more and more social anxiety and less and less energy for mindless social interaction. And it's really nice that this podcast exists or Chris Ryan's podcast exists or Kyle Tierman's exists. We, uh, co-hosted the meetup with him a few days ago and, we have this kind of like pre-filtered social group that exists in all of these cities. Um, and we're constantly commenting on how bizarre that is, but also how amazing it is and how grateful it, uh, we are for it and how grateful we also are that we get to introduce you to each other. Um, I think that stood out a lot for me at this meetup in Santa Cruz, just seeing all of these people who live in the same city who'd never met before, but who share all of these interests. It's like our world is set up in such a way that we have to put ourselves in like huge metropolises, you know, with millions of people in the hopes that we'll meet like one partner or like our small group of friends. But we have to filter through so much noise and to have these sort of like curated events um, that are not just based on location, that aren't even just based on a shared book everyone's read. It's like you guys know me pretty intimately and you're only sort of sticking around if you like what I have to say. Uh, and so once we all meet up, it's like all the hard, awkward, who are you? What are your values? What do you like to spend your time doing? It's, it's almost as if all of that skipped and we can just get right into, you know, an interesting, deep, honest, raw conversation, uh, which is definitely something I crave. And I know so many of you do as well. So yeah, that's been super fun. Head to my website if you want to keep up to date on where we're going, especially if you have a place to suggest that we may host a meetup. We're trying to keep these meetups like COVID as COVID friendly as possible. We're vaccinated uh, and we assume a lot of you are as well, but still, honestly, it's just kind of more fun to do them in an outdoor place. <laughs> you know, I feel like our crowd doesn't really like hang out in bars. So why host a meetup at a bar? Um, we had an amazing spot for our LA meetup in Westlake Village, uh, thanks to Ryan, who reached out and suggested this amazing, amazing land out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was super hard to get to. I mean, not hard, but just kind of interesting to get to. You had to go on a dirt road for a couple of miles and then another road and pass the no trespassing sign. And I was joking about how like on brand the meetup was, you know, like, it's a very Vanthropology, a van trip themed meetup. Um, and someone even commented who came, I think her name was Alyssa, who is a new listener of the podcast, new in the Patreon community and showed up, didn't know anybody um, and had no idea what to expect. Again, had just sort of recently started listening to the podcast and was sort of thinking to herself as she was driving there, like, wow, this is really crazy and this windy road and this and that. And she's like, but also it's such a good metaphor for what I'm doing right now, which is sort of stepping out of my comfort zone, agreeing to meet me more new people, 
you know, sort of engaging in this vulnerable endeavor of going to this meetup. So it's sort of lovely that it's kind of off the beaten path and a surprise and a little bit freaky and you don't really know if you're going to make it or what's going to be on the other end. Uh, it's such a good metaphor for what we're trying to do for these meetups, I think, in general is create new and different and unique spaces for people to meet each other and hang out. So if you have a cool off the beaten path spot where we can bring some beers and uh, some food or some snacks or, you know, of a, a cool brewery in town that has an outdoor area, again, please let us know. 81131podcast at gmail.com. I sound like a, I feel like a radio host. Please get in contact at 234 Five, six, seven, nine, ten. Okay, not a real phone number. Um, all right, so today's episode is uh, following along with the theme of difficult conversations. Um, this episode and the episode that will follow are going to be about gender, sort of in the same theme as the episode I released with Steve a few weeks ago about racism. Um, I, it was funny, actually, there was a guy who came to the meetup in LA and was like, oh, I was just listening to your podcast. Uh, I think it's about a conversation that you're really afraid to have. I haven't gotten to the conversation yet. I've just been listening to you talk about how afraid you are to have the conversation. I was like, wow, okay. I feel super called out. Um, but anyway, yes, difficult conversations that I really honestly started this podcast to have. Uh, I feel like when I started it in the end of 2018, Really, that entire previous year was kind of the start of the Me Too movement and all of these, um, what I find to be pretty similar identitarian movements across the board, whether we're talking about gender or racism um, or race or sex or whatever it is, uh, these sort of broad-based social justice movements based in identitarian culture that sort of often engage in the realm of cancel culture and um, often take place on social media. Uh, so I really wanted to have these conversations and sort of question some of the overarching accepted premises, premise-i, premises? I've never said premise in the plural form, um, but accept the overall premise of these movements as 100%, you know, true. And it's like, I think we can all agree that racism exists. I think we can all agree that people are, people experience prejudice because of their sexuality or their gender, um, totally totally on board with that I think sometimes where we tend to disagree and certainly where I disagree is the strategy for how to move forward I think a lot of these movements engage in silencing and blame and shame and I do not think that ultimately that's a productive way to move forward or to seek justice I think it's um, sort of punishing and more seeking compensatory injustice you hurt me so therefore I get to hurt you without consequence I'm not down for that, um, and I would really like to have conversations that try to exist as, as, as well as they can in that nuanced space of accepting that, yes, we have problems, accepting that, yes, we have prejudices, um, but that maybe there's a sort of kinder, more nuanced way to move forward, because, of course, these problems were created uh, due to various complexities and are only going to be solved if we can be honest about the fact that they are complex. So the other thing I wanted to mention, again, uh, you know, disclaiming my own conversation because I'm so afraid to bring it to you that I'm just going to talk to you for the next half hour about how afraid I am. Um, but really, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I have someone who's close to me who has always pushed back against me when it comes to astrology. 
Um, there's a couple people in my life who are like that, actually, who don't accept the premise as I do, who don't quite understand what the practice is, um, or even who do and just disagree that um, we can really trust uh, the planets to tell us what's going on or live our life according to what we think astrology is telling us. Um, and I think we kind of can approach those disagreements that we have with people in, in different ways. You know, I think it's really smart to surround yourself with intelligent, kind people who you know understand you and who you feel safe with, who can challenge you about some of your belief systems because Hopefully what it does is that it helps you to understand your premise more clearly, right? So when someone argues with me about astrology or something else that I just sort of blanketly believe in because of my own personal values, I can sort of use their skepticism as a way to hone my own argument, um, which isn't to say like disregarding what they say and just knowing the right response to shut them up, but I mean genuinely allowing them to show you where you might have some holes or some gaps in your argument where you may be accepting things just because that's the way you think they are um, and it's not necessarily a well-researched or super intelligent position. Um, and again, ultimately, if that other person or people are respectful of you and kind to you and you like them and trust them and you also find them intelligent, like, it's a win-win all around. If you guys can keep from being defensive with one another and really discuss things openly from two different points of view, I mean, that's what this podcast is trying to do. That's what I think we need to do more of, have these conversations and normalize these conversations for people. Um, so that's what this conversation is today. Uh, this is with uh, Vashnavi. She created an amazing documentary that's available on YouTube for free called Dysphoric. Uh, four-part documentary series uh, that interviews all sorts of experts about the trans movement, specifically the female to male uh, trans movement, the trend of which is growing quite a bit. Um, so the movie, uh, a documentary unpacks all of that. And I just sort of found it randomly on YouTube on a, oh no, that's not true actually. Someone who listens to the podcast, must be someone who listens to the podcast. Someone sent me a link to this film totally anonymously and without context in an email, I believe. And if that was you, <laughs> you should make yourself known. I forget like how it came to me, but I feel like it came through the contact form of my website. So I wasn't sure who it was from and there was no context. Uh, maybe I should go find that and reach out and say thank you. So anyway, I found this documentary on YouTube and it was really, really intelligent and um, yeah, just really smart and really brave and really courageous. And I decided to reach out to the creator of the documentary, Vashnavi, to have her on the podcast to discuss this issue. And then what also happened is that she put me in touch with Rachel, who is a woman who had transitioned but has now detransitioned and identifies as a woman again. Um, she put me in touch with her and I had her on the podcast as well. So either today, if I have enough um, energy and time to release both episodes. I'm going to sort of release them in two parts. Uh, this conversation being the first part, my conversation with Rachel being the second part. Um, but they really are two different, very interesting, very unique perspectives and angles on this discussion that I think are very valid. And I'm not saying they're more valid than the more popular perspectives or viewpoints that get more airtime, but I think they're just as valid. Um, and I know that it's very difficult to bring these sorts of dissenting um, 
opinions or viewpoints or conversations into public spaces, especially when things are so heated and cancel culture is so prominent. Um, but I would like to help do that. And I would like to encourage all of you to also have conversations that don't necessarily fall within the black or white category of the debate. So I hope this conversation challenges you. I hope it inspires you. I hope it helps you to um, hone in on your argument and your belief system a bit more clearly and a bit more honestly so that we can really work toward, I think, what we all want in the world, which is equality and acceptance, but not at the risk of honesty and truth and vulnerability and working through our traumas. So that is all I'm going to say today. If you would like to support the podcast, um, please share an episode with your friends. Send me an email, uh, post on social media, uh, review or rate the podcast on iTunes. That is super helpful in helping it show up more in search results. Um, and if you really want to delve a little bit deeper in this, into this community, get to know people, support the podcast financially, you can do all of that at patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. There are free, uh, three different levels, tiers, where you can sign up. Um, give a little bit of money per month, which helps me sustain this podcast, which helps keep it ad free. Um, and also you get to meet people through our private patron only discord server, our workshops that either I teach or other patrons teach about Reiki and seed saving and foraging and how to become a more confident creator and breathwork and all sorts of amazing skills that I um, so gratefully um, are, am allowing you to all share with each other in a way that feels really authentic and awesome for this community. And uh, we are currently reading Women Who Run With The Wolves. That is our summer book club. Uh, there is still time to join if you want to. Basically, all you have to do is get the book, read the book, or at least try to. I'm very open to people who haven't finished the book that we're reading for the book club, or honestly, even people who haven't read it, but who would like to participate or listen in on the discussion to participate. So we're going to be hosting two Zoom meetings at the beginning of August that I will be scheduling for all of us to gather and discuss the book. Uh, so we're going to read that book uh, with during June and July and then discuss it in early August. So if you'd like to sign up for that, you can also always sign up for patron, Patreon um, sort of on a like, you know, come and go basis, right? So if you want to just participate in one book club, sign up for Patreon for a month at the $10 level and then cancel it. Um, and then if you would like to continue, of course, you can participate in all the other perks as well. But I'm always sort of happy to have people sort of just pay for what they're interested in and then opt out and opt in whenever you want. So patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is the place to do that. If you have a cool place, spot, bar, land, beach, something to suggest for a meetup, please go to anyakotz.com slash podcast dash meetups see where we're headed, and then send us an email, 81131podcast at gmail.com to suggest a spot. Thank you all who have come out to the meetups so far. You're all fucking amazing, and um, heartwarming is honestly the word that kept coming to mind the other night in Santa Cruz. I feel like so many people said that. Uh, just so comfortable and so relaxed and so aligned and makes you sort of have hope for the future that maybe we're going to make it out of this mess okay with the support of each other 
I'm going to play you in today with another Aisha Badru song. I feel like she has become the unofficial voice of this podcast. Um, So many of her songs, I feel like, are very aligned with uh, what I talk about. Um, I haven't even listened to a ton of her music. I would like to kind of do a deep dive because uh, I've really liked so much of what I've heard so far. So this song is called Splintered by Aisha Badru. Um, Oh, also, if you ever want to know uh all the music i play on the podcast i do have a spotify playlist um that you can just search a millennial's guide to saving the world and it'll come up um i have some public playlists available on spotify and then some private ones as well that i offer just for patrons but in case you miss a song or you generally like this music and want one place to access it that's where you can go so please enjoy the song please enjoy this conversation welcome your feedback i'm always so impressed by this community's Um, ability to have nuanced conversations and not let their triggers get in the way of respect and curiosity. It's fucking cool. And it's the way I like to live too. Um, We had some amazing conversations after the racism discussion on the discord server. So always welcome your feedback, your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your fears, (laughs) your dreams. Um, Always happy to hear from you, whether it's on Instagram or email or on the Discord server, or wherever. Uh, So yeah, enjoy the conversation, and I will catch you on the other side. Okay, just kidding. One more thing. Um, We had to have this conversation that you're about to hear over Zoom. Uh, Vashnavi, we weren't able to connect over the normal recording software that I normally use, but I so wanted to have this conversation, and I didn't want to have to reschedule it and potentially not have it, so we switched to Zoom, Um, but Zoom is not... Uh, on par with the quality of Riverside, which is what I normally use. So unfortunately, um, my track is is relatively clear, but hers is not as clear. Um, I like bringing you guys as high quality audio as possible. I did the best I could to make this sound somewhat okay. Um, I do think that if you continue to listen, it sort of normalizes. So I hope you will not shut it off because the audio is less than ideal, but really stick with it because I think this perspective that she shares is incredibly, incredibly important. And I'm extremely grateful that she spent her time talking to me. So just a little warning, the next conversations will be back to the normal quality. They never taught us how to love. So we use our pain to comfort us And we never practice what we preach Instead we find someone else to teach We try not to see with our eyes We feel our place we're dozens of lies We try so hard to keep it in We turn away from what lies within We are splintered and we are rotten Deep within the walls that we forgot Tries to dodge them 
Okay, great. So I am really excited to have you on the podcast, albeit slightly nervous to have this conversation <laughs> given our climate. But I uh, I don't know. It's funny. I started the podcast two years ago during the Me Too movement, which I had some issues with just because I thought it was fundamentalist in nature, as a lot of these sort of identitarian movements tend to be. Um, and so I started the podcast in many for many reasons, but one of them was to sort of more taboo and inflammatory conversations because I felt like they were not happening um, in the world uh, as much as they needed to. And when they did, people were getting canceled and all of this stuff. So um, I feel like a couple of years later, people are stepping into these realms more and having these conversations. And when I found your film, um, I was both really grateful, but also, uh, yeah, just sort of like, just appreciative that other people were willing to wade into these waters. Um, I know that probably wasn't very easy to create a film about this topic. So I guess that's sort of where I'd love to start. Um, uh, you know, I know you grew up in India. I know your perspective is very much from, from there and looking at this issue as far as gender from a cross-cultural perspective. Um, but I'd really love to hear what the process of making this film was and what you dealt with as far as people turning you down uh, to work with or canceling you, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like people need to understand like the pressure <laughs> that occurs and the, the shaming that occurs during these sorts of things. Sure. Um, first of all, thank you very much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, yes, uh, I have pretty much lived my whole life in India and every aspect of me, my politics, my feminism, my outlook to life has a very, very broad Indianness to it. Um, and, and when I say this, I say this as a very, um, you know, sort of a grassroots 
uh, understanding of what being in India or being in, an Indian woman uh, means. So when I grew up, I grew up not knowing, not understanding any of these things, not understanding where I stand in, you know, in the hierarchy of the social structure and everything. But as I grew, I could understand that, you know, even within the female sex class, there are all kinds of divides in the name of religion, in the name of caste, in the name of all kinds of other uh, divides that people create in order to, you know, put people in certain boxes. Mm. Um, so where I am right now, I think I'm finally able to see the country for what it is, how unbelievably divided it is. And therefore, I understand my position, which is of an extreme amount of privilege and to, and to appreciate that and to see how it is going to be extremely difficult to talk about women's sex-based rights in a country like India. Yeah. Because we have 100 other hurdles to pass before we even talk about, you know, women's rights at the moment. Um, so going ahead and making this film was uh, sort of a, an, an adventure, I can say, because what happened just before this was, uh, was a sort of a cancellation experience. I mean, people have had far worse, so I would say mine wasn't as bad. But nevertheless, when you go through that experience, it's a very unique experience. It's a very draining experience. And you really start to question if you are going mad when that happens to you. <laughs> yeah. It is a very, very legitimate feeling. You know, you're wondering if you have gone mad. Why are all these people piling on like this uh, maybe if they are a majority maybe they're all right mm. it's just me right now who's going against the word so maybe I'm the one that's going mad so you sort of grapple with all these things yeah and the previous film was cancelled because of what I tweeted and it had nothing to do with my the content of my previous film itself mm. so taking on the subject was a kind of a dare if you will I was just very curious. So what's going on? Why is everybody so angry? You know, why are these youngsters willing to, you know, call me names? They have no idea who I am. They have no idea how old I am. You know, whether I have really worked for women's rights in this country. Am I a feminist? Am I just some troll online? What's my body of work? Is it okay to just call names just because you're sitting behind your computer? Is it, mm -hmm. is it okay? I mean, all those things started making me wonder. I have been a sort of a keyboard warrior myself, you know, but then I would never ever dismiss somebody's position or somebody's body of work. You know, you can debate or discuss things with a lot of respect for each other. Right. But this avalanche of trolls and abuse was extremely demeaning. And this is something that I have noticed in, you know, uh, religious extremist communities where if you talk about atheism, they just come raining down on you. It's just so bad, so grotesque. They include your family. They talk about your you, your body, your face. You know, it's just really a very low uh, place to be in. It was something similar. And uh, that was very interesting because... While I have been trolled and everything, because, you know, if you're working for women's rights in India, there are a lot of men that are going to be pissed off with you. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't do that. You can't work for women's rights. That's not acceptable in India, you know. So right. there are like this army of men that are always pissed with you. They're going to be pissed with you. But this one was about men who are identifying as women. Now, that's a new territory for me. 
I have also been, you know, a proper liberal feminist in the past who said uh, everybody must live the life of their choice. Choice must rule, must govern everything. And pornography is okay. Prostitution is okay. If a man says he's the woman, he must be allowed to say he's a woman. You know, I was in that same team before. But slowly, you know, you start understanding it better and you understand that a right, the rights of a community is in direct jeopardy to the rights of another. Mm-hmm. Now that's not social justice at all. That's not even democratic to begin with. So that's when I was very interested in seeing why there is this conflict between these two groups. Uh, and some of the groups uh, in the trans rights activist side were mostly women who call themselves feminists and who understand, like I do, uh, the different social structures that Indian women have and that it's not just easy to talk about women's rights when you have to deal with other social evils and things like that. Mm-hmm. And yet they were there. They were supporting anybody who said they were a woman uh, they were saying that they were women and we must just blanket blanket acceptance you know no questions whatsoever yeah so i wanted to make this film as a response to every single one of those trolls who said who said they would rape me they would punch me they would kill me whatever i wanted that to be a response to all of them and i wanted to make this film in a way that you really can't come charging at me if you watch it yeah I'm trying to hold your hand and I'm trying to talk to you as a human being with a lot of compassion and empathy. I'm not fighting with you. Yeah. I don't need to fight. I don't care for a fight. I do fight for women's rights, but I am laying down my points with utmost compassion. Yeah. But you know, my personality otherwise is extremely feisty, which is <laughs> which is why it was funny because you know to make a film with him just like you know borderline calm and composed you know laden with facts and figures and while in my head i'm just going internally screaming you know yeah. uh, how can you say something like that to me you know things like that i want to retort to all their trolls with troll with abuse but then that's yeah. just an endless battle and it'll it's never going to nobody's going to ever win that so then i made this film uh, i had to make sure that i covered this from every possible and potential vantage points um you know from the perspective of a young woman perspective of a really old woman a mother a teacher somebody who is considering transition somebody who has done it and has realized it's not for her all of those people can take something away from this film yeah i have not weaponized anybody i have not held anybody in contempt i have not glorified anybody either um it's just basically watching a scientific documentary about this whole phenomenon and i think uh, even though it took me nearly a year to finish i think whatever came out of it i was pretty pleased with it yeah yeah it was it was quite good i was actually quite surprised also in like it was a it's a four part documentary right on that i watched on youtube so you know youtube allows people to comment and i was i was reading through a bunch of them today and it's amazing how many people are supportive. Like I don't even know if I saw any <laughs> comments and normally YouTube is, you know, just jam packed with that sort of online harassment. 
especially for topics like this. And and it's not just your film either. I mean, I've been very interested in this issue. So I've been going through YouTube and watching all these videos of women who did transition and then have detransitioned. And even with those, it's just like the pile on of support is actually quite shocking in a climate that you would assume, you know, we're maybe one of the only people that thinks this way or something like that. Um, I'm interested when you, your film is, is packed with therapists and professionals, medical professionals, psychological professionals. Um, how did you find these people and did you have any issue reaching out to people and getting pushback about the fact that they might not want to go public with, with this? Was that something that you came up against? Sure. Uh, I mean, about the comments, yes, mostly they have been overwhelmingly positive yeah. and there were a odd bunch of comments that said things like, oh, this is just uh, some, I mean, white extremist propaganda or something like that. I mean, I'm yeah. brown. I live in India. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> you, can't, you can't sell that to me. That won't work. Yeah. But then mostly, yeah, they have been positive. And if there are any other odd comments that talk negatively about the film, the other audience members are tackling it themselves. Yeah. I never had to intervene at all. And it was really poetic to look at. You know, somebody would post something asinine and somebody else would say, did you even watch the whole documentary? <laughs> right. You know, so that is what I would have said. But then somebody else was doing it for me. Mm. So that's amazing. With regards to, you know, finding all these people, um, I guess after my cancellation, word got out and I kind of became like this lone Indian turf or something. It's a, it's a, it's a very tiny demographic at the moment, Indian turfs. So I think if there are a few people here and there, people would really know it. And the radical feminist community and the gender critical community in itself is not very huge. And these are all people who, you know, online mostly, there are probably a lot of people who think this way, who who have no idea what social media means. But at the moment, we're stuck with the kind of demographic that meets online. So because they knew me and because I was sort of, what shall I say, my, I had made my intentions very, very clear about what I was going to do with their testimonies and, you know, their time and their whatever it is that they wish to share with me. So, you know, I got one person uh, to talk in the film. And then with that person being part of my film, uh, I contacted somebody else saying X person is uh, in my film and I would like to interview you as well if you have the time. So it's basically, this is true for any interview, you know, any documentary filmmaker who has to have this multiple people having conversation. That is how you approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with uh, most of them, I would have a chat with them once before we start recording. We'd have a chat with them. I would explain where I'm coming from, make them comfortable. Um, because like you started the podcast, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you can't just be brutally honest about. You've got to be yeah. careful what you're saying. You've got to measure your words. Even if you are standing on um, standing against gender identity, you can really be penalized for it depending on how you stand against it. So your words could be weaponized against you and things like that. So all these people were very, very careful uh, and having that conversation with them once beforehand and sort of giving them an idea of the kind of questions I wanted to ask to them and ask them. And that gave them uh, an idea of what's expected of them. And then that became easy. With regards to uh, people who were not willing to speak in the film, yes, there definitely were people who couldn't be part of the film. Um, And perhaps they would have if I was okay with them being anonymous 
and i was not okay with them being anonymous because that defeats our purpose right mm-hmm. i wanted to show the sheer number of people that are talking against it speaking against it uh, yeah. and that means that if you are anonymous then that there is nothing wrong in it i understand i empathize with them how they can't be public about it but then if you have somebody anonymous it could just as well be that i am the person that is speaking i wanted their i wanted the person i wanted their identity out i wanted them to be speaking as themselves in the film therefore i had to sort of you know uh, unfortunately not have a certain number of people in the documentary and definitely you know a bunch of people who had no idea who had no problem being public about some other topic were not willing to talk about this topic yeah so there were like different kinds of uh, scenarios that i had to face but ultimately i think i was just so grateful that i think i think about uh, 30 35 people i interviewed in total not everybody's testimony could be part of the film but you know it was always a part of research to talk to them and understand where they're coming from but um, i'm extremely pleased with the different kinds of people that have spoken in the film you know sociologists feminists academicians mm-hmm. um clinic clinicians therapists basically parents and the transitioner so basically anybody who you can think of um who you could potentially discuss this with i sort of took a sample from all those particular demographic and i had them in the film so i think it turned out very well in retrospect if yeah. it had been if it had been a documentary where um you know if it was exclusively focused on the transitioners perhaps i would have liked to have like maybe five six more the transitioners but then again i thought it needn't be focused on a thing it can be about all of it together Right. about the phenomenon itself rather than the act of detransitioning or the act of transition or anything right. like that just the whole just the whole deal yeah Yeah, let's talk about the phenomenon. I feel like there's sort of two things happening. Um and I just I really appreciated I don't know, I lived abroad when I was young. I studied gender and sexuality in college and therefore had to I mean, my teacher was actually from Pakistan. So I think that my favorite teacher at least. Um so I feel like she influenced me in the way that I thought about these things quite significantly in the sense of like we have to look at these things cross culturally i think that's how we learn um so i guess i feel like there's sort of two pieces to this one sort of speaking about the state of womanhood um looking at it through the lens of india but then i also think you know we may be far certain ways in america but to me the sort of principles feel similar right um and so there's a state of womanhood and then as a result of that because transitioning is an option that that's sort of the other piece here that it's interacting with how women are treated you know um abroad but also in the US as well um so i'd love to hear if you could i know it's a very big topic but sort of talk about that premise um that you tried to sort of put forth in the film um you were absolutely right to understand the whole phenomenon of being female in our in our world i think it is very important to understand it from a multiple uh, socio cultural political perspective yeah. because even within one country two women are not the same you know two two women do not have the uh, same rights same privileges 
even if it is you know it could even be your neighbor that does not mean you to two people are exactly the same there are so many things that sort of divide us push us apart from each other therefore to understand the concept of female and to sort of claim to work for women's sex based rights and and sort of focus all the all the understanding in say uh, only the western countries or the global north would be very very wrong and uh, arrogant even yeah. you know to to think that that is what conforms being female that is what being female means mm-hmm. it take uh, the example of india and even pakistan all the south asian countries bangladesh nepal sri lanka all of us we are riddled by the caste system you know we we it's it's it it was deemed illegal by the constitution and it was uh, a, a law was passed a couple of times that if anybody was found practicing the caste system will be punished will be um, held uh, you know responsible for i don't know it is the most profound act of wrong doing that you can do that is how it was deemed that is how it is considered even today on paper but the caste system is still prevalent in india it is 2021 right now and as you probably are aware india is at the cusp of an extreme second wave covid situation and we know for a fact that the hospitals and the crematoriums and everything the access to those places the access to those privileges are purely being determined on the basis of your caste and in in this whole scheme of things you think about where women stand okay so you you it doesn't automatically mean that if you are born of an upper caste and if you are a woman that you are somehow equal to an upper caste man as well you're not you're definitely not and then you can imagine if we keep going down the social structure there will definitely be this one woman who is at the bottom most rung of uh, the caste system and she will probably never ever receive any of the privileges that i'm so passionately talking about you know right she would never get it so when we talk about women's rights how can we isolate her how can we not think about her how can we not hold her hands and think of every activism every advocacy that we're doing how can we not center her in in your you know the words the films the art that we make how can we not do that you know right. so i have been acutely aware of my position and the position of that woman you know who i have to probably wait for a century Uh, maybe more for her to come to where i am right now so that we both can talk about women's sex based rights yeah. we are free from the shackles of caste we are free from the shackles of religion none of that is going to happen in my lifetime but i'm just giving you an idea mm-hmm. it is after we jump through all these hurdles we can actually as women as a sex class as a, a protected uh, class can we talk about our rights and until that time any activism any radical feminist movement any gender critical movement is useless and when i when i say it is useless i think the other side of it is to think about how dangerous it is for a woman for that one last woman to survive in a country like this which is extremely misogynistic sexist and um, you know sort of binds you with things that you can't even understand 
but you're somehow not equal to somebody else that is just the understanding that you grew up with right why wouldn't she want to break one of those shackles if it is being handed over to her saying you can identify out of your female sex class and you can become male now anybody would do it right i have thought about it growing up so, i have wanted to be a boy every yeah, every girl course. every yeah every girl would have thought about it or even consider it would have crossed her mind that wow those guys really you know do get away with a lot of things i wish i was a boy every girl would have thought that you know for for something very very mundane or something stupid or silly or it could be something that would, could cost some girl her livelihood her life itself so the thought of i wish i was a boy is a very real thought it's a very real feeling and that vulnerability and that depravity of uh, you know unable to be a woman and fight for your rights that depravity is completely taken over by corporations and that vulnerability is being fed on right now it's like these vultures are feeding on our depravity and offering this alleged solution which isn't a solution at all yeah but it is being gift wrapped in such a beautiful manner that anybody will be tempted to want a share of it you know want a piece of it that's what's happening right now the way um, you know even in india these non governmental organizations the way they are going to schools and the way, way they are conducting conducting these gender trainings and everything at the forefront of all of it is not gay rights movement it's not women's rights movement it's not suffrage it's not any of that it's about how you can identify out of your feelings yeah and sometimes because i feel like i'm just talking in a in, in isolation it feels like uh, nobody is able to see this the way i do sometimes it it is maddening you know that maybe maybe it's not so bad maybe nobody is thinking you can be a boy maybe gender sensitivity is not about transing gay children transing the women but at the at, <laughs> i will also say this you know while while it seems like such a horrible thing to do to the female sex class i think what the big corporations have done very very cleverly is they have made these little uh, puppets these non governmental organizations these uh, these offices that conduct these training programs and they they are um sort of uh, giving them this uh, delusion it's it's an illusion that they are somehow doing good that they are do gooders by doing this they are somehow doing good to the society and that sort of twists your brain right so these people yeah. at the base at the core of it they only have good intentions in their head they good intentions in their heart they are thinking that they are enabling and they are empowering children to be better citizens to have great future to have education and things but they don't understand the way um almost parasitic way in which the corporations are sort of uh capturing every industry and sort of putting you on the job as foot soldier to do to fulfill their agenda yeah um so yeah like you said it's a it's extremely broad topic but i think the whole feeling of being an indian woman um is sit squarely in the whole trans rights movement because anybody will want to give up their female status if it is about you know getting getting rid of one of the shackles right yeah it's 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 
bizarre to me too, because I think, you know, maybe it's, it's that people assume we've gotten so far in equal rights for women, let's say in America, that we think, okay, we've done that. Now anybody can be who they want to be. Like if you, if you try to sort of take this framework and like, imagine if we applied it to race right now and we were like, okay, you can be white if you want to, what sort of, you know, outrage that would, that would create because the fact is we could clearly, or people I would assume would clearly understand that people were choosing to be white based on the fact that they didn't have equal rights to begin with, with the race that they were born into. Um, And so I think like, to me, it's sort of a twofold issue. It's like one, this thing is happening in the Western world and being exported to India. But I'm curious if you agree that I think what's happening in India with the ways that we're able to see this very clearly because women are not equal to men, because it's very difficult to be a woman, because you're punished to be for being a woman. To me, that still exists in America. It's just more subtle. So we're, I, we're able to get away with this, if that makes sense. Um, but I think, like you said, like I grew up in the early, in the nineties, early nineties. And prior to hitting puberty, I, t- I was such a tomboy. I was angry about being a girl. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't sort of admire the women that I was like <laughs> looking up to. Um, and I feel like, yeah, we, we have no, um, we've lost the meaning and value of womanhood, I think, cross-culturally. Um, yeah, and, and I'm just curious to hear, do you uh, agree with that? Do you think, like, to me, I feel like America's it's like a sort of this Petri dish, like the same thing's happening. It's just almost less noticeable because we're ignorant about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you're probably right. Um, I think what happens in the U.S. has a direct bearing to the young adults, uh, how they perceive the world, how they access their social media, uh, how they present themselves, you know? Right. A lot of it is very Americanized, including the way young girls and boys want to put up an accent in order to get social validation or somebody who has had a few years um, education abroad and has come down and has a unique American accent and how that somehow that person is automatically the group leader and things like that. So a lot of what the U.S. does, um, Hollywood, uh, you know, Netflix, all these things uh, have a direct impact on the young adults of India. And um, I think it sort of even trickles down to the way they abuse Indian women who are saying men are not women either you know mm-hmm. also because you know how there are these images that they often use and the threats that they often use and the taunts that they often use are extremely similar to the taunts americans use for american gender critical women mm-hmm. it's as if they all thrive in one of these subreddits or discord servers somewhere and as if they parrot it back to whichever community that they belong to so if you are an Indian in a Discord server uh, of a lot of trans rights activists, if an American trans rights activist is going to sort of come and boast about how he took down some woman who says, these people come and ape it. Right. It's as if even in, the, even in your persecution, you ought to be as American as you can. So right. yeah, we have, like most countries do, America is, you know, 
are the most powerful countries and uh, the scary part is how all these little trivial things go unnoticed but it is actually under such scrutiny whatever you're doing over there has a it's sort of a butterfly effect you can say you know? some new trend in the us it immediately gets picked up over here everybody mm-hmm. wants to do it over here you remember all these um, really bizarre social media things like whether the gown is white or <laughs> blue yes where do you think it started it became viral in india you know things like that i'm just talking about a very very stupid silly example but you can right. imagine how much people are looking up to the things that you, uh, the americans are doing or the west in general are doing and how they want to imitate it because they believe that's some form of an ideal now if it is an ideal and if it is right if they are right in believing that then maybe it will work but it is not right because we are very different right as much as there is a race for you the social cultural uh, divide uh, in the hierarchy there is a divide caste can be weirdly understood um with with race but it is not exactly the same yeah it's far more nuanced you know because within the caste hierarchy there are so many different subcastes and within the subcastes there is always that woman who is going to be you know the last one so what these millennials do online um is the way uh, organizations companies also feed their advertisements and everything so without taking into account the reality of grassroots without taking into account the reality of the society which is not online it is not on twitter or instagram or reddit the reality is outside it, it's also the same you know remember this woman who said that she is identifying as a black woman and had dreadlocks yes. and things like that and yeah. how she was just so shamed and nearly you know i don't know given death threats and rape threats yeah. and what not yeah but she's continuing on that you know she's she's just chill she's just saying i identify as her therefore that is what i am now how can that be wrong um and a man identifying as a woman be empowering or brave yeah. Or something like that in india there is a particular caste uh, anya where if you're born into that caste your one job your one source of livelihood is to clean shit you know it is not and i mean you, you can't even imagine how grotesque this job is how demeaning it is how how uh, there is no dignity in it at all okay you're born in that and it's a chance it's a matter of chance if you're born into a family and that family happens to be from a certain caste for the rest of your life you're going to be punished for it you were merely born into it you didn't earn it but you can't escape it imagine the gravity of the situation of a newborn born into a caste uh, into a family like that you grow up you may even somehow get rid of all these things and get yourself educated you go apply for a job they look at you they ask you what your caste is they will not give you the job because your caste is meant to take shit now i am a privileged woman if i say from tomorrow i identify as that lower caste i will be murdered i will be lynched because it is the most insensitive thing you can ever say to people how is it then that we are supposed to just sit down and take it when men say that they are women this is perhaps the only social bizarre movement where 
they have managed to capture every possible industry there is it is unimaginable how organized how systematic it is it's, un- it's unimaginable why is there no pushback because men are not getting affected by it mm-hmm. but in caste and in race it is still it is still um, men still have to have some fight in it because it concerns them a right. black man uh, a man from a lower caste still have to fight against it because if he does maybe he will get something out of it but this one right there is no pushback whatsoever and any pushback from a woman uh, is silenced yeah. is crushed because men stand to benefit from it directly yeah and therefore corporations are sort of willing to sort of sway in that direction completely freeing themselves from the very obvious error in their in their whole philosophy yeah yeah and let, let's talk about this specific form of of transgenderism compared to others right because your your film is mostly focused on women transitioning to men um and can you talk a bit about the trends there and why that sort of seems like it's being you know uh why if there is a trend why there is a trend there and why these numbers are sort of speaking to something that's going on that's more than just people identifying in you know different ways when they want because they're you know they have a unique experience versus something that does look like some sort of either cultural or corporate um uh provoked trend uh that's sort of outnumbering the other forms of transition mm-hmm. so there are two categories i think we have to divide them into two categories one is just your regular vanilla heterosexual females you know growing yeah. up and uh, living in a obviously a very unequal society watching maybe other girls get more privileges than them watching all the men get more privileges than everybody else but now there is an option for you to appear special you will grow up and you will probably fall in love with a man you'll get married to a man you'll probably have children you'll probably conform to most of these societal roles yourself yeah. but now you have an option of calling yourself different despite being heterosexual and that's your non binary gender fluid and all of that uh, yeah. bs that people are doing so heterosexual women with pronouns on their bios and you know deliberate aping of what constitutes non binary what constitutes gender fluid as dictated by the west mm-hmm. they are aping the exact same thing wearing clothes that are essentially provocative sort of a look at me give attention to me that sort of a thing um but that's just gender non conformity and that can be appreciated regardless of whether you are gender fluid or you know right. whatever all of that is yeah. that is one category you know just regular women desperate for some attention because social media is punishing you watch people get so many different achieve so many different things and it makes you feel like an absolute waste so mm-hmm. you tend to want to feel you tend to long that validation you tend to um want to be different from the rest of the crowd you want to stand out so this is one way of doing it and there are a lot of heterosexual females that have pronouns on their bio and calling themselves uh you know gender fluid and whatever non binary and thing and there is this other category of lesbians yeah classical lesbians you know 
in india uh, 2018 is when we um, decriminalized homosexuality and gay marriage is not legal here even though we decriminalized it you're not allowed to legally marry as a same sex couple and now a lot of cases after cases are being unearthed where lesbian couple who have been in probably you know a secret relationship their whole life and now when it was decriminalized they announced it to the world but what is the use you cannot marry and in yeah. india every single one of your civil right is tied to the whole institution of marriage as much as i hate it that's the truth you know yeah. right. it is tied to marriage it is tied to you know inheritance uh, insurance purchasing a property everything is tied to your uh, your spouse yeah now because marriage gay marriage has not been legalized people do not have a choice but to transition themselves and marry as a heterosexual couple mm. you know the number of lesbian uh, women who have transitioned and they are constantly being told to deny that no 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 they are not they we are not lesbians we are transition we always felt like a boy we always loved women that somehow they are trying to imply that if they loved women as women then there is something wrong with them how is it not a homophobic movement and it, this is not cheap huh? this is uh, we talking about i don't know upwards of 10 12 lakhs in this i don't know how much that is in uh, us dollars but it's a lot of money yeah this is of course for people who can afford it what about people who cannot afford it and we're also talking about uh, families that are very clear about forcing yourself forcing your children to heteronormativity you know that uh, yeah. if you are gay you will be forcefully married off and be forcefully uh, you will know, be raped and made to have children they believe that is how they correct you of your homosexual disease right and even after that if you don't conform to it if you somehow are like you know resisting it there have been cases in rural parts of india where they've hung women in broad daylight they've lynched them and they've hung them for the entire villages um view to sort of set a precedent that anybody who dares to do something similar is going to end up having the same fate mm-hmm. what do those women do right now they trans themselves now this is totally this these are the two categories now this is totally different from the hijra community that these people often uh, you know claim as their own the modern day trans movement they claim the whole concept of hijra and uh, you know the third gender or the eunuchs as whatever right. you know the, the the two spirits and what have you they claim that it's somehow been there for centuries and that somehow that must explain why it is okay to give puberty blockers to 10 year olds 11 year olds now the yeah. the correlation is it's jumping so many hoops it's funny how can they uh, live with themselves by justifying something like this but yeah, yeah. so you have your regular vanilla heterosexuals who want to be different because it sucks to be a female right um, i i i have empathy for them but that is not how this works and then um instead of fighting for gay marriages everybody is fighting for trans rights right now and concept of self id is coming up and now men are wanting to have access to female only spaces female only affirmative actions you know political seats um certain reservations that are unique to the female sex class Mm-hmm. these people who are identifying out of their masculinity or whatever maleness are now yeah. claiming to be female and are trying to take away those rights 
Why do you have affirmative action? Because we have, we, it is known that for generations we have been deprived of our opportunities. That is why you have affirmative action. And now, in broad daylight, these men come in, sweep up everything, whatever little that we have, you know, the morsels that is being left out, and are claiming it as a, as their own, apart from enjoying all the other male privileges of the society too. Right. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go on. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 shocking on so many levels. I remember just recently, I was also always sort of taken aback by the, you know, well, this has been around for a long time, and here the, um, and I've I've looked at all of this, I've studied all of these things, and 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 the other, you know, two spirited as in Native American communities is what's um, uh, mentioned quite often, and that even that term is a Western term that a lot of Native Americans rejected because it wasn't. One, it was too overly simplistic because each tribe had an individual way of experiencing something like this. And so we applied a term and then that term is you like it, the ignorance is off the charts. Um, and I, I do. I'm I'm con- I'm I'm confused by the idea of like th- I feel like there are two truths that the transgender community often talks about, at least a, a large portion of them, which is that one gender is a construct and not real, and that we've applied all of these meanings to these words. But then in my mind, then why would you be transitioning from one to the other? That to me is the weirdest faulty logic. Um, To me, the clear answer, and I'm interested to hear what you think, but like, you know, and, and I felt this, and I talk about this on my podcast a lot, that I think in America, across the board, but still in America, value is only applied to sort of masculine forms of power. So things like, you know, um, trust and vulnerability and like relinquishing control. Like we don't value these things. These are, in my mind, more feminine traits that we don't value. And so women are shown that if you want to have power in society, you have to take on these more masculine characteristics. And to me, that's just a a less severe example of what we're talking about, right? <laughs> like in order to be powerful, you need to be a man. And sometimes, you know, yeah. that means cutting off your tits and, you know. Um, but yeah, I I don't, you know, I, I'm curious if you agree that to me, like the solution is to broaden the definition of gender, to empower women um, and to bring back those more, sort of feminine forms of power and to honor both equally and to not necessarily say that, you know, women need to become men, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, in order to be powerful, right? That women can be just women and be powerful as well, if that makes yes, sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but the only thing I think should happen is gender, the word and the whole the whole mafia surrounding it must be completely abolished. Yeah. We already have a word for it. We already have the word sex to define biological male and female, right? Right. Everything else is, is a cultural thing. Um, right. Totally. Like you're saying, like you're saying, you know, even within, within a society, a seemingly similar uh, set of people living in a society, you, expect a certain person to have that sort of an authority when they are presenting like a man or when you know they say all these things like if there is a female CEO which is an amazing thing but they say that oh she's a ball buster or that she is she's got a big 
she's she's got balls or something like that yeah. you know it's as if all these qualities of authority or of uh, of um, somebody who has complete control over themselves there somehow that is a very male trait and that if a woman does it then that means that she is a male version or right. something like that it it's true yeah. even for pop culture you know back then now we have the trans thing you can become a man but back then we used to have all these powerful characters who present masculine um they will they will wear uh, clothes that are conventionally not feminine and then uh, they won't wear high heels they won't wear makeup they will they will be made to look deliberately unkempt because they're so powerful and they're so authoritative like take terminator for example you know the mm-hmm. little boy's mother she she isn't conventionally female and a conventionally female woman can never pull off a character like that we know right. that in pop culture that's true that's how yeah. we are trained yeah. and at the same time if you have uh, a super feminine character she wouldn't be expected to do any of that she would be expected to be a damsel in distress take okay. within the homosexual community okay within the homosexual community within the lesbians why is there a, a butch and a femme what are they doing these are two women who are in love with each other why should there be a male presenting lesbian and a female presenting lesbian i'd say forget all these words forget butch fem gender forget all of those things let's just people let 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 us all just be people be in love with whoever we want uh, you know if they would let you have sex with whoever you want um live live a happy life as much as you can without causing any damage to anybody and at the same time fight for your rights without taking away from some other community i think mm-hmm. this would be like an ideal scenario for anybody be it the west be it the global south be it for anybody but yeah. that's not what's happening if we allow gender nonconformity tomorrow morning the stock market will crash okay yeah. there are hundreds of companies that will go bankrupt tomorrow if we say uh women are not willing to be feminine anymore or that men are suddenly going to be vulnerable anymore uh, all the deodorant companies all the perfumes all the lingeries <laughs> everybody will go out of business just think about it it will crash the stock market and nobody wants that right not your not your president not my prime minister nobody wants that everybody wants everybody has eye on the money and it might seem like a conspiracy theory but me choosing to um break the whole feminine presentation right i am hurting the stock market now as we speak totally by not conforming to that by not purchasing those products i am hurting the stock market and the constant um pursuit of all these companies is to somehow make me disbelieve myself and somehow make me want to fit shave my legs buy all these 100 different products to you know take the hair away from my body why would i do that are men asked to do that yeah men are not asked to do that men are asked to do 100 other things which again that's another different market to talk about but you know what i'm saying right yeah. yeah what we do need is a complete abolition of the word gender and everything that it represents it should go away from academia it should go away from our legal jargons if there is no gender there is no gender identity right ask any trans rights activist to define either of these terms ask any trans trans rights activist to define who a woman is and therefore who a trans woman is and if trans woman is woman why transition right yes right and by saying that 
Right. By saying like, this is what a woman is and I'm not that. So I need to transition to me. I mean, it's mind boggling to me. That isn't what a woman is. That's what you assume a woman is. That's what culture told you. It's right. The stock market, all of these things. It's like, I'm not a woman either. Then in that case, like this doesn't make any sense. And how are we working to broaden the definition or the availability of what people can be by defining more clearly what a woman is and is not? It's yeah. nuts. <laughs> it is baffling. And you know, when you start here, there is no end to how much you can change. That yeah. is why now people are saying that they are trans ableist, that they want to chop off their perfectly functional limbs because they identify as paraplegic or they identify as um, handicapped. Yeah. So you start here and see how far it can go. Right. When this is okay, one would wonder, why is that not okay? Therefore, let's make everything okay because at the end of it, there is somebody who's sitting there doing kaching, you know, at, at the end of all this. Somebody's making shit tons of money out of this. So yeah. any of your delusions are going to be entertained it's just a matter of you pushing the right buttons and sort of making a group of people believe that trans women are women. If you can succeed to do that, and they have succeeded in doing that, then you're okay. Then, then there is absolutely no uh, stopping a Hispanic woman from identifying as a white man, a Jewish man, or whatever, you know? Yeah. That's not okay. If that's not okay, this shouldn't be either. Yeah. How do you, I, I'm curious because I, I'm not sure I would know how to respond to this either. I feel like, you know, it's it's not as popular now, but certainly when gay rights was, the fight for gay rights was more prominent in America, that there was a lot of rhetoric around like, well, if we allow two men to get married or two women to get married or be together, then like that will soon mean that, you know, people will be able to marry dogs or something like that, that there's this like slippery slope. And I feel like sometimes when I speak about these things too, about you know, where we're um, honoring some kind of like psychological issue or delusion and that that's a slippery slope. Do you get that pushback at all from people? Like, well, people said that about homosexuality and that didn't happen. So what you're saying about what could occur is unrealistic or or prejudiced or something like that. Yeah, but um, two women marrying each other still are part of the same species, though. Yeah. A dog is not going to marry a human being. A dog is not going to marry a cat. A dog isn't going to marry at all. That's yeah. a very faulty comparison. And there is yeah. no argument in that at all. That is just to, you know, insult you for your choices. Um, that, is, that is also very plausible because how else would they dissuade you from doing it? Even within the animal species, the animal kingdom, homosexuality is innate. It's yeah. been founded and so many researches and theories are available for anybody to see that homosexuality is not an anomaly. It's not a human only thing. Blue whales are homosexuals, you know. Right. The thing with India and the reason why it is considered to be uh, or looked down upon is because in India, procreation is everything. You know, yeah. if, uh, if two women marry, they cannot procreate. Like they don't understand the concept. They sometimes... Uh, they don't. They don't. They, um, they wonder how they even have sex because for them everything, you know, from the act of intercourse to the concept of a family involves a penis. Mm -hmm. Okay, when right. when there is no penis in it, everybody's so confused. And when there are two penises, they're wondering that that doesn't make sense. That's not how it works because the two penises can't procreate. 
and um, and you know um, how it is right you when when a man is uh, willfully having a sexual relationship with another man it is considered to be a, a, how do i say it i mean so see sometimes when men have to punish other men they rape them right right and homosexuality or being gay is considered to be a form of punishment because they think that there's something wrong with you that you're letting a man right. sorry for my language fuck you from behind right that is that is how it is perceived and totally. when you when you say it like that you are immediately making it seem so distasteful so so unholy so unkempt uncouth so yeah. you immediately want to trigger out of it you snap out of it and that's the perception and with two women forget about it they they don't they don't consider one woman uh, important enough to discuss this two women is impossible yeah. what two women do whether they can be you know a family whether they can raise children together all those things aren't even don't even come into consideration for us mm-hmm. to even have a fight about it do you understand what i'm saying so yeah. with gay rights there are all these uh, very sexist innuendos to it but with two women falling in love it's not on the table at all yeah. because it's not important at all right you know, sorry i'm sorry i just want to give you an example to make this yeah, uh, yeah totally uh, this better in my previous film was on sexual harassment okay uh, sexual harassment is majority uh, faced by women uh, in the hands of men and that's an established fact um when 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 i whenever i do screenings a lot of people ask me oh so this is a very controversial topic do you get pushbacks do you get uh, threats from political parties or you know fringe groups that consider feminism to be such a curse to the society whatever i i usually usually say to them that no i will, and i will never get a pushback because for them to consider a, a cause worthy enough to push back they must then consider it important they must consider sexual harassment at workplace to be an important issue mm-hmm. important enough that they stop people who are fighting against it they don't consider it important at all therefore i have free reign on going and making a documentary about it that is why the me too was successful and the the reason why it was sort of uh, looked down upon was this uh, instant punishment on social media right and men suddenly got seriously offended and scared and terrified for their jobs and livelihood somehow at that time they understand what it means <laughs> to lose your livelihood but when a woman does it they don't so this is the example i'm trying to say so when two lesbian women are talking about setting up a family it never comes it is never brought uh, up as an important topic because women are not considered important enough right yeah yeah for sure um yeah the 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 looking at finding both issues around gender and sexuality and nature especially in like apes is really interesting uh but other mammals and and animals as well um i was recently watching this documentary about this chimpanzee lucy who was raised by humans in america in like the 70s just when people were doing stupid shit like that um and it was fascinating because once lucy sort of reached puberty definitely totally raised as a human but reached puberty you know is like down to have sex now 
And every man that this couple would have over to their house, this female chimpanzee would go and, you know, wrap her legs around and hump, basically. And I thought that was so fascinating because I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking that the Lucy is not identifying those men based on what they're wearing or how they're presenting themselves. She's totally locating their, their, you know, anatomy energetically or doing something that I think humans do as well, right? Like we are in a room of people and we're sort of just automatically organizing people by sex. I feel like it's sort of a natural thing that we do. Um, but I don't, you know, we're not looking at, we don't find examples of transgender ism in uh, the animal kingdom because gender in and of itself is made up by humans, right? Like it's just genitalia and that's all there is. Um, so yeah, but I do want to talk about like, obviously, you know, like what is going on? I know you interviewed a lot of women who have detransitioned in your documentary. I plan to have one of these women on my show as well. Thank you for that. (laughs) Um, but so what is going on in the minds of women? Because I'm sure that when some women, Uh, who are hearing this might say, okay, yeah, maybe there's this corporate, you know, conspiracy to get women to transgender and to do these surgeries and not just women, but men as well. Um, But certainly that's not what's going on in the minds of the people that are transitioning, right? Like they're coming in because they're struggling with something. Um, And you had a lot of therapists uh, in your film as well. So I'm interested to hear like, what is going on for those women and what are the therapists recommending happen as uh as an alternative to yes let's have you transition take hormone blockers get surgery etc like what is going on what is the psychological issue um that's being brought to the table i'm sure it's varied to some extent but what's overall what's going on um based on my experience like you're saying when 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 women are coming to therapists for that letter so that they can go ahead and procure their hormones mm-hmm. at that time they're so blinded by their end goal, by, blinded by their end goal of becoming a man, that they are totally ignoring all the red flags along the way because they feel like once they get to that end goal, life will be completely better. It will be, there, there will be no more distress. All that I'm experiencing right now, the pain, the trauma, the depression, everything is going to go away. Once I get to that end goal, red flags, no problem. I'm going to get to that end goal. That's how, you know, tunnel vision they are uh, mm-hmm. when they had made up their mind. And how do they make up their mind? It is being pre- presented to you that way online, right? right. And a lot of people uh, who are uh, who have done it, who are talking so highly of it and how that experience made them some, somehow like a superhuman or something, whatever, you know, all these YouTube uh, testimonies that you see. They think that, they can be them. All the people that they're watching, all the people that are reading about, they want to be them, you know. But um, when they come to therapy, there are a significant number of people who are being advised to just affirm only because it's a money-making business after all. So there are gender therapists who you can go to and get a letter and you can move on for all your other things. Nobody really talks about why this woman wants to be a man. Yeah. What is it that caused her this this need what caused this need for her to become a man and come on you cannot become a man yeah you you cannot no matter how many papers she's going to sign and affirm you and whatever you're not going to become that how negligent 
can an entire department of a medical field be to not question a woman when she comes across and says, I want to become a man? How negligent should you be or how gaslit you must be to just merely just follow the herd? It's like you're hypnotized. Right. You know, in, in Fight Club, in the film Fight Club, there is this scene where this one guy dies and everybody starts chanting, his name is, you know, Paul something, Paul Hampson or something like that. And it, that's exactly how they're all behaving. One person starts with the chant and everybody just follows in. And right. the fear of not um, affirming immediately. There may be a few people who are concerned about their patients, you know. Maybe she's exhibiting some extremely uh, problematic symptoms that a therapist can see. And yet she's not allowed to question any of that because right now the trans movement are saying that's conversion therapy. Right. If you go to a therapist in order for you to become a man, that's conversion therapy and that's wrong. And you could lose your license and you see how rabid they are. They can chase you. They can go after you right to the medical board, take your license away. I have to feed myself. I'm going to be worried about that. I'm not going to be worried about your lunacy. You know, so right now, a majority of them are being this way. Right. And in India, there are no any, there are no groups that are especially challenging this affirmation model only. There are so many organizations that are very pro-trans, pro-queer, pro-everything um, that conduct uh, special classes to therapists as to how to deal with them, how to, how to affirm them. You know, yeah. they are actually en encouraging this problematic behavior rather than telling them, no, you should challenge them, maybe understand what's going on with them. That is, that is what you took an oath for. Uh, but right. but that's what's happening. And there is a steep rise in the cases of ROGD in India as well. ROGD is one of those scenarios where you don't have that history. You don't have a mental illness background. You don't have a sexual violent background. But one fine day, you're just waking up because your friends are saying it. It's rapid mm -hmm. onset. You're just yeah. calling yourself a boy or a girl right now. That's increasing in India. And it is so fascinating. Again, like America. Yeah. It's 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 like a, if somebody else does it over there, then that must be true. Therefore, I will teach myself to believe that as my own experience, as my own feelings. That's what's happening right now. And you can do that, like how Lisa Marciano, sorry, Lisa Marciano says in the film. If yeah. you want something bad enough, you can convince yourself and add and expose expose back to find uh, all kinds of information on the internet to justify that you're right. You can do yes. that. Yeah, and the smarter you are, the more dangerous it is because, yeah, you have a lot of skill in convincing yourself and others that you're, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, how, and also it's just so silly to me because it's like how many people go to therapy and do that across the bar, a board with issues like much less significant, but just basically use the therapist to confirm their own rationalization and feeling about who they are and, and what they should be doing. I mean, and also like just talking about the word and concept of dysphoria, that we can have forms of dysphoria different from gender, right? Like people, I mean, we talk about eating disorders or cutting or like how many different issues of dysphoria get brought to therapists all the time. And can we imagine this same framework being applied to those of, yes, oh, okay, you say, you know, you're anorexic and it will make you feel better and more like yourself if you could continue to lose weight. So yes, let me help you support that and write a letter to approve this. I mean, why, you know, why is this one issue given these sorts of special privileges? 
privileges that other forms of dysmorphia are not. And the other forms of dysmorphia are seen as symptoms of a, of a larger problem, right? And I think that's sort of what the gender, or at least in your film and how I see it in many ways too, that these, these uh, gender dysphoria issues are symptoms of other psychological, you know, problems that might need, should be solved and should be delved into and, and people aren't being given that as an option. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's fascinating how they are trying to curb all the voices of detransitioners too. Now, let's just say, uh, like I always maintain, I wish nobody would transition, you know, I would, I wish everybody would just be happy in their own skin and they don't have to do anything to their body mm-hmm. to find happiness. I wish, okay. Yeah. But that being said, let's just imagine a situation where this is super normal. Anybody can go do whatever surgery they want on themselves and nobody questions them, whatever. Now, if somebody says, well, I went through this whole process and I faced X, Y, Z issues. Now, if somebody says that, you must immediately welcome that person's feedback because tomorrow, if you want to go through with it and if you face those problems, you need somebody to tell you how did you mitigate that? Or what did you do in order for you to get those problems? Mm. Instead of that, what's happening in the whole trans industry right now is it doesn't matter what damage you had. It doesn't matter if you even died during your transition process. Shut your mouth. Because I'm not going to listen to you because you are wrong. Nowhere in the world, nowhere in any possible medical ailment in the medical history has this ever been a normal situation where somebody who presents a problem in a diagnosis or in the treatment is completely shunned away. You know, in the um, Johnson & Johnson uh, uh, vaccination that is being supplied in the US, it seems in a large sample size, some six people experience some form of an abdominal pain. They have stopped procuring it. They have stopped manufacturing it because it is a defect. How in the hell (laughs) is it okay to shut the people that are giving you this help, you know, even if it means that transition is great for you, whatever. But if somebody says they had a problem, shouldn't you be listening to them as opposed to, you know, shutting them out? So that's what's happening here, which is baffling. Yeah. Because by silencing the detransitioners, you are making money for the gender overlord. But if you let more detransitioners speak up, maybe everybody will see through the whole thing for what it is. And that's not going to appease anybody at all. So better silence all the detransitioners. So what if they die? That's their problem. Like what Rachel says in the film, right? If something went wrong with you, then that means you did not do it right. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the cross-sex hormones or uh, Lupron that is used for chemically castrating sexual offenders. All that is normal. You having kidney issues, that's your problem. Yeah. Nobody would say that. No, <laughs> no. And I mean, I'm, I'm extremely, it's funny because I, I've had these thoughts for a long time and I, I didn't do a ton of research, honestly, a lot of it, just like, I felt like this is what was happening, this sort of fleeing womanhood kind of a thing. And that the trends, especially as it relates to women wanting to become men was going up in ways that seemed a little bit, uh, questionable. Yeah, you know, it wasn't following the regular sort of trend of how many people were normally doing this. It sort of shot up. And given how we relate to femininity and womanhood and all of that stuff, to me, it was just like quite clear. And I I did a, a rant on a, a podcast with um, 
the the conversation that the intro was a part of it it wasn't totally related but i did this whole rant about my concerns about how the transgender movement was sort of we weren't working toward um empowering woman women or what woman what um or or redefining what womanhood should be uh and then that is when i started going to youtube because i was like i just wonder if there's anybody that could speak to this. I, I mean, is this just me? Like, maybe I'm totally ignorant and making up a theory. And I was like, I mean, I think I spent days like scouring these videos of detransitioned women explaining this exact thing that I spoke about, that like they didn't want to be a woman. They didn't know how to have power in society by being a woman. Womanhood was confusing. They didn't understand what femininity was. And so they became a man and then realized that's not the solution here. Um, and now I'm going to go back. And you know, it's, it's crazy to me because it's the videos of the people speaking themselves on YouTube. It's all of the people that are commenting on your video. Like there are a lot of these folks and this is not being given any kind of a voice in the public realm whatsoever. And, you know, especially amongst young people, which are who this message needs to get to so urgently. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's baffling to me how prominent now even the info, like I thought maybe I was just the only one willing to say something and then going to YouTube and seeing all these people are saying similar things and it's, we're still not considering it. Like, yeah. I don't know, there's something truly disturbing <laughs> about that in my opinion. <laughs> it's just. No, actually that silencing is very, very real. And there is, you can, you can very blatantly see how they are trying to conceal the voices of detransitioners as well. And anybody who yeah. speaks up against the trans agenda, for example, on Twitter, if you go and if you search sissy porn, you will have hundred, hundred million videos available, like proper mm -hmm. pornography, explicit, hardcore pornography. You can see on Twitter, you can yeah. see rape videos on Twitter. You can see child pornography on Twitter. But if you type a man is not a woman, you can be permanently banned from Twitter. Okay. Similarly, if you're searching for detransition voices, right? You search it on Google, open another browser and search it on DuckDuckGo, another search engine, uh, you know, unlike Google, which is not a huge conglomerate, but it's starting yeah. out, but it's a, it's like a very basic search engine. Right. You will see the same search keyword will offer completely different result on Google and a completely different result on a Tor website or a DuckDuckGo search engine. You know, it is very explicit that all these people are in on it. Social media is the way they reach these young, impressionable, vulnerable children. Therefore, any voice that could go right. against their agenda will be so categorically silenced. So right. I wouldn't be surprised that if I am willing to transition, right? If I'm thinking about transition and I want to Google, if there are any side effects, I go to Google, I will not find anything. You see how rabid it is and how everybody is in on it. And, you know, Jennifer Bilek's work and the 11th hour blog is just so pivotal right now because she's the only person who has been so outspoken in connecting all these dots with corporations and how much money they, have, they are disbursing to even the third world countries, you know, global south, in order to propagate the agenda of transgenderism. And mm -hmm. sort of uh, in India, uh, you know, sex work is considered to be work. And there are a lot of feminists who claim that it is true and it's a legit work uh, livelihood. Now, there are many men who are these eunuchs, homosexual, transsexuals, who also do prostitution. 
and while that is there there are a lot of young girls okay they are getting trafficked into this trade that's a very open secret you know yeah. uh, there are there have been no raids nobody is busting the whole gang the mafia but only very recently after a lot of fight we have what is called as the anti trafficking act uh, a law where there is a potential that you know you could go to the court of law and say that you have been trafficked then there is a chance that you might get some redressal because the indian system is pretty bureaucratic and useless now that is not to say that a law shouldn't exist a law should exist now what these trans people are doing is they are lobbying against this act because trans people predominantly do sex work therefore an anti trafficking bill might affect their livelihood i'm not wow. making this up <laughs> Yeah, I'm not making yeah. this up, and they are tying up yeah. with organizations in the Europe. They call this red umbrella organizations. So most of them are like you know sex work lobbyists, all these mm-hmm. pimps basically, uh, mm-hmm. who sort of appear in this whole corporate veneer. But they're pimps, and uh, they yeah. pimp women out. That's what they do. And these are young girls. Okay, yeah. Just see how much they want to exploit just this one section of the world. Yeah, female. That's it. Yeah. that will explain how much you know we are we are considered important or not at all right what blog did you just mention who what's the oh, name oh sure jennifer bilek is the name of the feminist and okay. 11th hour blog is okay. where you will find you know all kinds of amazing um, information about which corporation is setting up setting aside how much money for what and where does it go and Uh, she uh, a friend uh, also made like this amazing investigative article about arcus foundation that has given away funds to all these organizations and where those uh, funds are being used or being dispersed mm-hmm. who's ultimately getting benefited from it and what is that money being used for for the propaganda and things like that similarly uh, jennifer has written uh, you know way too many blogs then i would consider it to be you know essential reading material for schools and colleges you know especially when organizations go and do these drag queen story hour and these teachers are being taught to not use the word boys and girls because it is transphobic and things like that she's basically connecting all the dots in a very very um lucid very clear simple blogs it's amazing everybody must uh, you know check that out and you know perhaps even watch this forex because that breaks it down from a multiple vantage point and i think if anybody in the who is sane enough who has an open mind who is willing to watch our film and maybe you know read a few blogs by jennifer and a few amazing radical feminists that are out there doing the good work nobody can then say trans women are women yeah anybody who still would say that are just you know playing to the choir they right. just don't want to they don't they they don't want to be one of those people that are op- being oppressed so they choose to oppress right yeah i mean and at the end of the day we're just the sort of blind follower shame foot soldiers for so many of these movements you know the the silencing that occurs and just the hostility um of what you can say and what you can't say and and i mean that's one thing but the fact that people accept that and follow it and take on the shame and deplatform themselves and you know like we're participating 
if we do that. Yeah, and they um, and they call us Nazis. Yeah. They call us Nazis for stating the simple biological fact that men are not women. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they are able to use something so grave to compare yeah. something as trivial as this is baffling enough. But they use that every day. They right. they they really use that. They sort of have come up with this portamento, right? There's a feminazi now, a feminazi yeah. turf. These are all <laughs> things that they keep inventing every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, the sports thing, especially to me, is. I just, I don't, I don't even know how to like verbalize my thoughts on it, you know? And I, and I'm, I, I think that people, yes, should be able to be whoever they are, call themselves whatever they want, dress however they want, act however they want, speak however they want, fine, whatever. Um, but like, come on now, if we have a sports system that's divided on biological sex, your gender is irrelevant. I mean, maybe, okay, let's redo how sports are organized and do it based on skill, then okay. But like, that's not what's happening. And it's, it's you know, the more we subscribe to these sorts of blanket propaganda, um, you know, I just like, we, we're totally giving away our agency and, and autonomy and power, I think. Yeah, it's just so want- silly. Yeah, they don't want even one of their people to go against the sports thing because when Caitlyn Jenner said that uh, men shouldn't be in women's sports, right. they're all calling him the white supremacist of the trans community right now. <laughs> Before yeah. that, he was all, oh, you're so important, you're so valid, and this thing and that thing, you're the pioneer, thank you for paving the way for all the trans people after you and all of that. And now suddenly, he's a scum, he's a cunt, he's all of those things, which is... Shocking. Somebody on Twitter was suggesting how it will be nice. You know, we don't want to discriminate against people, whatever they're identifying as. And if you want, have an open category. Have an open category. And if women want to participate in it, let them participate in it. Rachel McKinnon, Reese McKinnon doesn't have a chance, doesn't have a... In in million years, he can't compete against men and win national championship and international championship. It is obvious that he's doing it because he knows he can beat them with very obvious testosterone and other male body right. advantage, right? right? But anybody who stands against this uh, is a bigot. They're, they're being shot down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could keep talking, but <laughs> I will let you have the rest of your night. I really I appreciate you coming on the show. And I just, I really appreciate you making this film, the sort of bravery and courage. I know you've made films that are brave and courageous before, but you know, I think especially thinking about women who live in America or anybody lives in America, men, extremely privileged people who aren't taking on um, the who aren't taking their power on in the sense that they can critique these things without losing their lives, their jobs, etc. Like, I really hope to encourage other people to do this and that. I've totally gotten harassed online and shamed on Instagram and like you fucking block people. It's not the end of the world. You know, I know a lot of people are affected much more seriously than that, but I think we all need to sort of, um, I don't know, take some advice from you and, and sort of how you move through the world. And much, many more of us need to do that because I think this stuff is only going to continue to fester if we keep it silent. So um, if you want to, can you let people know, uh, who are listening, where to find you online, where to find the film? And then I also ask everyone if they could recommend, um, a book or a couple of books that were like really instrumental to you in your, um, sort of just growth and life. What, what would that be? And sometimes we read them for our book club. So 
Sure, that's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I really appreciate you speaking up about it despite all these uh, online trolling and abuse and bullying. Um, I think my bet is on the younger generation, people uh, like you, young women like you who are as enterprising as you, who are not just speaking out about it, but just making other women speak about it together and making other people listen to it. And that's mm-hmm. true service, you know, that's how you... Mm, that's how you move from one generation to the next generation of feminism. That's the only way to do it. People continuing to talk about it. So I really admire and appreciate the work that you do. So keep it up. Don't ever stop. Don't let any Thanks. any bully, any abuse stop you from doing all this. You're not alone. Okay? And uh, about reaching me online, I am V-A-I-S-H-A-X in almost every social media. So you type that and all my, my whole bio data will show up for all you know. Um, and about the film, you can watch it uh, on YouTube. It's for free. It's a four-part documentary. Um, and the short URL is bit.ly slash dysphoric21. 21 is just 2021, the year it released. So if you type that out on your browser, it will take you to the playlist directly and you can just watch one after the other. Oh, the books. My God, I don't even know. I think it's a very cruel question. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I would highly recommend, of course, Andrea Dworkin's. Every single book that she has written is just, God, the, the, this, the most, the holy book indeed, you know. It's, uh, it is what every woman should read and what that woman went through during her life at that time standing up against these bullies is just something else. I mean, just thinking about it gives me goosebumps. Um, So Andrea Dorkin, for sure, all of her work, and Sheila Jeffries, uh, Gender Hurts, and recently she released her memoir, and that's an amazing book to read because she's somebody, it's like as if uh, somebody who's of your age now, but so many decades ago who has done all these things, and there are so many inspiring things that you can take from their life and maybe implement it. So, okay, yeah, and uh, it's just endless. You can't ask me a book and <laughs> that's, know, that's not I fair. But, I'd be mad but at myself, but I am mad at myself for asking everyone to pick one book. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, these are, but these, there are just so many of them. You know, if you look up one person, there are all these other books that will keep showing in your recommendation. Just yeah. read everything. <laughs> read everything. Educate yourself. And that's the only way we can, you know, fight against this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again. This was great. Thank you very much. Hello again. Thank you for sticking around and listening to that conversation. I hope you found it refreshing, challenging, if not refreshing, refreshing, if not challenging. Um, Really appreciate the work that Vaishnavi is doing, and I very much recommend watching her documentary. It's very well put together, very intelligent, and has a lot of really smart people with really interesting things to say. So you can find that on YouTube. I'm going to play you out with Your Move by Yes, because that made sense to me for this episode. Um, And again, if you would like to support the podcast, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is where to do that. If you would like to come to one of our meetups or suggest a cool spot for a meetup, please send me an email at 81131podcast at gmail.com. Please enjoy this song and then uh, please enjoy the conversation that comes next with Rachel. It's definitely a very good and interesting part two. Talk to you all soon. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day So satisfied I'm on my way Take a straight and stronger course to
Remember.